This is Misty Jane, and you're listening to Backroom Beauty Talks, a real, raw, and unedited podcast that helps uplift the hair industry one stylist at a time. Hello there, friends. Welcome to another episode of Backroom Beauty Talks. <laughs> For real, though, I don't have a radio voice. I'm trying, okay? Bear with me. I need your help. Um, I have a goal uh, to end 2020. I'd like to get at least 10 reviews on my iTunes um, podcast. So if you're listening to this on your iPhone, if you could do me an amazing favor and just scroll down to the bottom and go ahead and leave a little message if you are enjoying this podcast, it would be so greatly appreciated. We got to hit some of those 2020 goals, right? I'd love for you to be a part of it. Thank you in advance. Now let's go ahead and get today's conversation going. Um, Today I am talking with Chris Solome. He is awesome. He is the co-founder of the 124Go podcast and consulting company. He's a speaker, he's an educator, and he's also the author of Shop Talk, which we are going to talk a lot about in this episode. It is a book that he has written um, basically as a very helpful guide for stylists that are ready to uplift their career. He talks mindset. We talk money. um, We talk all the things. Please enjoy. Hello, Chris. Welcome to Backroom Beauty Talks. What's up, Misty? I'm so excited to chat with you again. Same here. Same here. I saw the uh, invite and I was like, is that just repeating? No, right? I actually get to talk to Misty again today. So, I've been um, I've been doing that with podcasts lately, and I look at my calendar and I'm like, wait, wait, do I need to think of the questions or like? Yes. <laughs> That's okay. It makes it more fun. Yes. Well, you well, do better than I do. I don't think of the questions until I like sit down, literally. So. <laughs> yeah, I ca- actually, you know, I kind of do the same because I I, yeah. I like it to be a conversation. So I feel like. Totally if I have like too much of an agenda, it makes it harder to have a flowing conversation. Um, but you know, you still got to think of the things, Ooh, what do I want to ask that person? You know, (laughs) well, you're trying and you're trying to serve your group. You know, you're trying to make sure that whoever's listening right now is getting the most bang for their buck. Exactly. And that, you know, you're at the end of the podcast, they walked away with something that they can use. Exactly. So for those um, that are listening that have possibly never heard of you before, who are you? Yeah. So thank you for asking. And thanks for having me on again. My name's Chris Suleme and I'm a lifer. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lifetime hairstylist. Um, to give you the quick short of it, my fam, my parents met in hair school, cosmetology school in the fifties. Really? Um, yeah. That's and, cool. Um, yeah. So they did hair for a long time before I was born. Um, and I have seven brothers and sis- six brothers and sisters. There's seven of us. I'm the youngest. And wow. my Parents did the hair thing, but before I was born, they got out of the business and opened bars. And my brother was considering going in the Navy. And my dad said, look, before you go into the military, why don't you just give hairdressing a try? And him doing that pulled the rest of us back into the business. So my brother was my hero, still is. And um, watching him, you know, go into this world that I didn't really, I knew existed because I knew my parents had a past in it, but I didn't know it was a full thing. And so um, we had a rule in my house that I was allowed to stay up past a certain time if I was in the garage when my brother was practicing for hair competitions. And so (laughs) that is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it was awesome. So one night I was 13 years old. I picked up a mannequin uh, that was sitting there and I braided. I uh, there was a book sitting on the um, table called Braiding Made Easy. And I self-taught looking at the book, uh, a Dutch braid, which nowadays we would call uh, a cornrow braid. So it's right. the one that sits on the outside. And like, I just remember staring at that braid all night. I didn't want to take it down. And I, sh- you know, show it, showing it off. And, you know, the way I say it now is like, I knew I had found the answer. You know, I, I never knew what the, what the question was. And then I realized that I had found the answer. And so I've been, um, actively, you know, uh, in, in hair since that time I started braiding people's hair in school. And then, um, I quick, you know, when I got out of high school, immediately went to work in the salon a few years later, uh, my brother and I opened up a second location. And then, um, from there, I, 
had all the ups and downs of a, an owner. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had all the ups and downs of a stylist. So I remember being an assistant, you know, and hating it and hating, you know, scrubbing the shampoo bowls and that sort of thing. My brother used to call me the ass assistant. Oh no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love family. (laughs) Um, and I, but, uh, but I love doing hair. I love the creative part about a few years into doing hair. I real, I, I met a woman who came to work in our salon and she was the most money-making hairdresser I'd ever seen up until that time. Her name was Donna Nelson. And Donna just, she, she didn't cut hair, in my opinion, as well as I did. But she handled clients and handled her business in a far different ma- fashion than I ever did. And um, one day, I asked her in the back room, kind of like, you know, like, what the hell? Like, what, what do you know that I don't know? Because you know, she did the mayor's hair and, you know, in Tampa Bay and all the stuff. And, um, I just couldn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand what I was seeing and I didn't know how much she made. And so I asked her kind of, you know, like, how much do you make in a day? Cause for me, a big day would have been like a couple hundred bucks. Right. Um, and you know, she told me and it was above four figures in a day, you know, and I hadn't heard that yet. Um, so she pointed me to go to a seminar and that was where I met my first hair mentor, first business mentor, which was Michael Cole and quickly were to follow, um, you know, Gino Stampora and, and Wynn Claybaugh and, um, Wayne Grund and all these other people that, that understood the balance of hair versus business. Right. Um, and that kind of started me down a path. And then I did the same thing with salon ownership. I had no fucking clue what I was doing as a salon owner. I, I just, I loved that I owned the salon, you know, that helped boost my ego. I loved not being told what to do. I, I you know, even to this day, have people right. that know me know I hate being told what to do. Um, and, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and, I, and I was at 27, I was considering selling the salon because, I owned the building and I knew I would walk away with some money. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll try something different or I'm not really sure. And I went to another seminar uh, and that one turned me from a hairstylist into a business owner. That's what I was going to ask you. So you were an owner before you learned anything about business. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and back then, you know, I'm 47. And so, you know, in the nineties, we were on the cusp of figuring out salon ownership. Um, and so we didn't, um, we didn't know what we didn't know. And truthfully, like the way business was back then, you could, you could be successful by accident Mm -hmm. and it's much harder to do that now. It's much harder. Yeah. Now, why do you think that people back like then could be successful by accident? Yeah. Well, it was, you know, I mean, there are a couple things and I don't want anybody rolling their eyes because it's like, <laughs> I feel like I'm talking about, you know, back in the, uh, the dark ages, but um, it was, a, it was a, it was very much a cash business. Right. Um, you know, people were hiding way, you know, way more than they were claiming. Businesses could do that as well. And our overhead was super low. Right. So I, the first building I ever bought, which I sold for a lot more, a lot, lot more, but we purchased that building for $135,000. My, my overhead for a 15 chair salon was cheap, right? you know? So the overhead was different, you know, um, tax laws have changed. So there, there was a lot of factors. Um, product costs have gone up and historically the cost of a haircut hasn't really gone up. Well, and um, we're using more products now. Yeah. Well, but overall as an industry, you know, the average, price of a haircut in the nineties was probably $35 industry wide. And maybe it's 45 now. Right. Maybe. Right. So it hasn't gone up that much comparatively to the cost of doing business. Right. Right. Yeah. So now why can't people, why do you think people can't necessarily, um, why is it not an accident anymore? Just because there's so much more out there to be able to push you forward faster or, yeah. Well, there's also the cost of doing business again. And so like, for instance, what, what you might pay for a salon suite, you know, a, a well-built out, you know, um, real estate deal that you do with an, with an owner, what you might pay for a salon suite, I was paying for a 15 chair salon. Right. Right. So do you see what I'm saying? There was a lot more fuel in that. Now, depending on where you live, if you live in Arkansas, 
you know, I know that there's cheaper real estate there, but if you're in a bigger market, generally speaking, it just costs more to be in the game. Right. For sure. Um, so you wrote a book. Yeah. Now this book is your story and also helps stylists. Yeah. For so their this, journey, yeah, is that this, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, right. It's not a pontification of my career. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's actually me sort of sharing the sad truth that until I met somebody that could help me, I had no fucking clue what I was doing. Um, and, I think, and I think that's most people in general. Um, later in the year, so, so the seminar that I went to the first time mm-hmm. uh, when I was learning to be a successful stylist, And so after that conversation with Donna Nelson, I attended a seminar. I listened to every word that I heard from the educators, Michael Cole and Debbie Miller and Gary Harlan. Um, uh, Two of those are still in the game today, big time. And I I took everything they said and put it to use. So I I went back to the salon and I went from a $200 day to a, you know, to a four figure day. And then from there, you know, never did I ever go back again. You know, a a very average day for me was always over a thousand dollars. And if it, if it somehow wasn't like, I would be like, why did I even get up out of bed? You know? Um, And so, you know, I, I liked, um, I, sorry, I went out for a second. So I liked um, what I learned there. And then, you know, the second time around as a salon owner, I, I went back to the same person. It just so happened I was going to quit. And somebody told me that Michael Cole was coming through town and doing this thing. And it was for salon owners. And I went, um, and mind you in Tampa, in Tampa, independent contracting, self-employed stylist, and you know, as they used to call it booth rental Mm -hmm. has been around for a very long time. Right now. I know that's new in the Northeast, but I had to run, commission salons. I had run blended salons. I had run fully, uh, fully booth rent only salons, but no matter what I tried, I didn't understand the, the, uh, what a profit and loss was. I didn't understand, you know, the, the business of overhead and how I could, let's say, if you were a new stylist, I could pay you a certain amount because that was the going rate. And every time you did a service, I made less money. Right. Every time you did a service, I lost money. So if you did a hundred dollar service, I paid $3 for that hundred. I paid $103 for that service to happen because I didn't understand how that would be happening. And so most owners are bleeding. Even, even, you know, the, the salon suites have it figured out because it's a real estate deal. But if you own a booth renting salon, many of those people are sucking wind because they don't get it. So my book was, uh, is, is, is one part, the part that I think I'm a real expert at. I'm, I'm still not an expert at owning a salon. I got really good at it and I got very profitable. That, that happened. Um, but I, I, I have to say I was more of a hairstylist that owned a salon than I was a business owner. So you, you're like, more directed towards the stylist, not necessarily the business owner. So what? One hundred percent. I am a, I am a, um, I'm a, I'm a hairstylist through and through more than anything. I, in coaching, I relate to hairstylists. Um, if we're going to talk about how to earn more money, I'm going to teach you at the chair. Right. Um, and so what, so now to get to shop talk. Well, let me ask uh, you real quick before yeah. we move on. When you went from a three figure stylist to a four figure stylist yeah. almost overnight, what yeah, do you yeah, th- but less than 18 months. What yeah. do you think changed mentally for you? I mean, obviously the class opened your yeah. eyes. Was right. there, were you scared to make that jump or were you like, oh, that's it. I'm doing this. Like what, what happened in that transition? Yeah. So I was a 22 year old ego driven hairstylist. I mean, <laughs> so I, I knew I could do it. Um, but I didn't, um, I I knew I could do it. I didn't know what it was. Right. Right. I didn't know what it was. So, so what it was, was there was a set of communication skills that I didn't understand. Right. Number one, I didn't understand as a 22 year old, how to communicate with, um, 
a 55 year old businesswoman and and teach her new ways to wear her hair that would affect my bottom line right right um, i didn't i didn't understand <clears throat> i didn't understand why i would ever make a product offering i didn't understand things like glazing right <laughs> like like i remember watching donna doing shine treatments after you know it was redken shades back at the time and it was she'd do a clear gloss on like all of her clients and like I had the attitude and the, and the mindset and the idea set that like, why would you put something that you can't see on the person's head? Right. right. Like I didn't, I didn't get it and I didn't get it. Like, you know, I also as a service, I didn't get it. So the kind of long and short of it was, um, I learned that, that there was a different way of thinking. There was a different way of communicating and that most most hairstylists will never see that part of it. So you could walk into any salon, salon suite, and you can see that what most people are doing in that room is less than what a few of them are doing. Right. So I call that the idea of the few and the many. I learned it as 80-20, but I, but I call it the few and the many. There's a few people that are going to outdo the rest. Right. And and it doesn't even matter if we have the same skill level. So if, if Misty Jane is, you know, better at balayage than so-and-so, but she's not as good at communication, the person that's good at communication is going to win. Yes. Yep. Right. And, the, and the person that's, that's good at balayage and doesn't understand the communication part is going to make tons of excuses. Right. So or try to people please and end up people disappointing. That was people disappointing yes. or, you know, they're gonna, they're thinking that it's this, that it's all in their hands. And while nowadays you have to be an awesome hairstylist, like you've, you've got to be awesome. Right. Um, because, or at least you have to be the best you can be. Right. So you don't have to be, um, you know, you don't have to be Olivia Smalley. You don't have to be, you know, you, right. you can be you but be your best you. Right. So, so that's the first part. The, the second part was that there are metrics and, and whether you like metrics or not, the reality is, is every time somebody sits down in your chair, something happens. Every time somebody sits down in your chair, something happens and you can measure that something. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. Was that person a referral, right? It's a measurable thing that is either a yes or no, and one of them builds my business and the other one might not. Is that person a return guest? Like, have I retained them and are they continuing to come back to me in a small enough window of time that it feeds my business and helps me to grow? So is she coming back in three months or less? Now, I know with balayage and you know root smudges and things, we're stretching things a little longer. That's why I advocate so hard for what are the other services she's going to need in between? Is she going to need her, um, uh, her toner refreshed? Is she, you know, should she be coming in for a treatment? Like, I think if you want absolutely stunning hair, I think the answer is yes. You yes. know, I think if you want your um, highlights to stay in that cool tone or in that beautiful golden tone without going brassy, um, I think the answer is yes, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, or that if you want that money piece to, you know, just stay perfectly popped like that, you know, you need that little teasy light in between. And what we've done is we've kind of said, um, well, this will last longer. So you don't, you know, you only have to come in four times a year. And the problem with that is if she only comes in four times a year, I need four times the amount of guests. Right. Like, and she's unhappy two months out of that. And, you know, totally. they come back on, you know, the next season or whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, the last two months is just, you know, when they could have came back six weeks later and just <clears throat> brightened everything up a little bit and felt like, you know, they spent a lot of money twice a year, you know? Totally, totally, yeah. totally. It's interesting, um, especially in the, the social media age where clients are coming in and telling us what they want, um, you know, because they're feeling like they're more educated. And I think that 
even before social media, it was our job to educate our clients. And, and it's even more so, more important now to be able to educate even further because, you know, they, they think they know, but they don't always know. You know? <laughs> no, and by, and by, you know, and by educate, it could simply mean to me, like sometimes that simply means getting on the same page yes. and saying all of the things that are, that are in your head that you think they already know. Right. You know, so if, if, if I, if you show me a picture and you call it balayage, mm -hmm. you might mean something entirely different about what that is. To me, balayage is simply a technique. Yes. To you, the client, it's a look. Right. And I want to explain the difference between if I'm going to be doing some hand painting, am I going to be doing some teasy lights or baby lights? Am I going to allow that to happen through a progressive retouch or a smudge route and what the difference is between the two? Like I've got to get clear what my language is because I'm going to tell you how much it's going to be prior to us starting our appointment. And I need you to know that if I do the baby lights as well as the balayage, that that's not just one thing. Right. That, that there's a cost associated with it. So I have to be super clear in my language. Yes. And have client language, not stylist language. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, so Sometimes it just gets too complicated. <laughs> it's too complicated, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so you she's tell them you're going to add violet to a formula, they're going to be like, oh. You know, right. like what are you doing that, that for? Yeah. Keep yeah. your mouth shut on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're just going to balance it out. Right. Pull it down. Make sure you love the color. You know, go get that tone that you were showing me in the image. Right. Yeah, 100%. So, um, so talk to those, those stylists who are listening to this and they're, and they're saying, you know, how do I get there? How do I get to a four-figure day? You know, what, what, where do I even start? Mm-hmm. Well, it's super easy, right? It, and the thing is, is, you know, I've, I've talked to, we had you on our podcast, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that you did in your life to balance, to, to balance your, bring balance to your life is you had to look at numbers. Yes. You know, you had to take a look at the thing that you weren't really wanting to take a look at. Um, and we, and I think there are a lot of people out there educating to avoid that altogether. And I'm going low. You, you can do that if you want, you know what I mean? But in the long term, if you just look at some simple math, mm -hmm. you can decide um, how you can decide, number one, how many clients you want to work on to get to your goal. You can decide what your goal is and you can see how easy it is. So I think of it like this, the two and, and in the book, I talk about all kinds of metrics, um, but I wrote the book in 2015. Uh, you know, I, I spoke a lot about it since then, and, mm -hmm. I, and I work with a lot of hair school students, and I want to get them to understand it as easy as possible. So now I kind of talk about two basic numbers. And for a hairstylist that worked behind the chair for a long time, I think you'll get this, right? How many clients is a comfortable day for Misty Jane? Like, you, you know how many three clients felt like a good day to you. Three or three. four. Yeah, okay, three right. ideally, like yep. <laughs> two Great. if they're long ones. Like, <laughs> awesome. So I I love that answer, right? So for Chris, it's six, mm -hmm. right? So for for Misty, your comfort level's three, mm -hmm. and for me, my comfort level was six. Right now, I always worked with extra sets of hands. I'll admit that part. Hey, you're um, a double booker, right? I, I, I was, but, and I also usually had assistants. Yeah. Um, and now that I, I, I do get to do very little hair nowadays. So I want to, I want to give that disclaimer just because I, you know, um, I work inside of a salon where I do a lot of other things. Right. Um, and, uh, and clients is my, my favorite day, but it's the thing I get to do the least amount of. So, but what, if we're talking about going full tilt, so then I say, um, so three is your favorite day, mm -hmm. right? Six is mine. Mm -hmm. So then I ask you like, what's a, what, what's your number goal that you're trying to hit for that day? Like what's a good day feel like for you? 900. Okay. So 900 bucks. You're making the math very easy for yeah. me. Thank you. <laughs> right. So $900 divided by three. Mm -hmm. I think that's 300, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so to make Misty happy, 
she needs to know two things. What's her goal and how many clients in a span of time does she want to work in? So we could do this for a day, week, month, or year. But typically days and weeks are good because it gives me an idea of what my month can look like. Right. We might start out with a month and we might go, how much do you need to do in a month to satisfy what you're trying to take home? Right. And then we would back to, okay, great, Misty, how many days do you want to work? So, um, and then we would, and then we would, you know, back that down. But all I want to know from you is what do you want to do in a day? And you want to do that on three clients. Great. Um, and then how many days a, a week do you want to work? Say four. Okay. So four times three, mm-hmm. uh, is 12. So you, so you need 12 clients in a week mm-hmm. and then 12 times 4.3 or just four, if we want to make it easy. Um, eight, four, you need 48 clients a month. So you need 48 active clients in your clientele. Uh, well, no, you need 48 active clients a month inside of your client bucket. Right. Right. But to get to your day, it's only going to take three and a $300 average ticket. So if mine was, um, you know, I'll use your same number just for the fun of it. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if my day was a $900 day, you know, and I, divide that by six, then 150 would be the ticket that I would be shooting for. Right. Right. Um, and so it's not that that's my number. It's just, that's, that's how we would do it. If, if 1200 was my number or 1500 was my number, I would take 1200 and I would divide it by six. Mm-hmm. And then that would show me what I would need my average ticket to be. Now, do you recommend stylists work backwards? Like, like this is what I want to make in a year you know, divided by 12, divided by 100%. Four. Yeah. 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 Start out with your goal. Right. Like, you know, we're all beating around the bush. If you ask, if you go into a cosmetology school and, and give a talk right now mm-hmm. and you ask them, how much do you, not even how much do you want to make? How much do you think you can make? They don't have any fucking clue. No clue. And it's very low. It's low too. Yeah. It's well, because they're afraid, you know, I, as a society, and I, you know, I mean, this is just a personal belief of mine. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's not true, but I think like we've gotten like to where we, we, we have pulled money out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's asinine. Like it's the most important conversation. It's the most important <laughs> and adult conversation that you can have. It's uncomfortable. You, That's why people don't want to talk about it. Well, it's not only, that's not only it. The other, the other portion of it, you know, is we, we've gotten into this thing where, you know, we want to get people to do more for less. Yes. And so, you know, I can use approval to get you to do more and you're going to do it because, because you like the approval, you get that, you know, and, and, you know, we all know about the dopamine shot. We all know about, you know, the, the Instagram like and post. Right. And so people are willing to go a lot further nowadays and not be compensated. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with volunteering time. I do a ton of free work, right? I do a ton of free work, but I'm very aware of it. I'm, you know, I know why I'm doing that free work. Um, it's, and you do it because you want to. Right? I do it because I want to. And right. it's not, and I'm not doing it and not being able to pay my bills. You know right. what I mean? Um, right. So, um, but I think what we should do is teach people how to maximize their potential. Mm-hmm. And I think that creates more loyalty um, to each other in general. And I think, um, you know, doing things for free, as long as there's the return on investment, you know, and it doesn't have to be a financial investment. It can be, you know, getting your name out there or, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, I know when I was behind the chair, I would do um, hair for free just to take pictures and I would tell my client and I would, you know, and um, I could take their picture for 30 minutes and, you know, take longer to take pictures along the way. And, And it was great for Instagram and I liked doing, I enjoyed it. There's something about yep. doing hair for free that you can do whatever you want. That's kind of nice sometimes, but I yep. would never have a client come in and guilt me into doing something for free. You know, it's like I chose to do it kind of thing. I think one, yeah, a hundred percent. Look, I, sp- I spoke for free for years before right. I got paid to speak. Right. Um, you know, I guess the part of the story that I haven't told you guys yet. And, and, uh, if you can't tell, I, lo- I love to talk is I ended up, you know, my, my hero, Michael Cole, 
-hmm. I ended up working with him and speaking on the circuit with him for seven years. And, um, you know, I spoke, uh, I took, we, we in, um, I guess I want to say it was 2006 or 2007. Um, we, and I say we, cause I was a part of the first six people to do it, created a, a program that still runs in the Redken world called step up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I took that around the world. So to, to Germany, to Australia, to Mexico, um, and, you know, basically taught people number one, like, you know, how to earn more behind the chair. And the other thing that we talked about even back then before it was, you know, kind of in style was like, you know, uh, how to, how to balance your book at home, you know, what to do with your tip money, you know, pay your bills off. We used to, we used to teach the, uh, the debt snowball in a different language, but, um, you know, I love that, (laughs) but it's, it's so important. Um, and the thing is, is like young, young hairstylists have such earning potential. It's ridiculous. Yes. Like if you're listening to this right now, and you're even questioning whether this is a good career choice, you know, whether you can make a ton of money and have a lot of fun, you know, maybe more fun than any other industry. Like you can do both. Um, you just have to focus on a few certain things and maybe get uncomfortable. Um, but you, you can, this industry, you can have it all. Eventually I went into the corporate world. So I, I was an independent artist. Um, after 2013, I resigned from the Redkin Artist um, uh, Network and I went into freelancing and I ended up doing a lot of talking for Kuhn Hair Cosmetics. And then I eventually was the director of um, Academy and technical director for Kuhn for North America. And let me tell you, going from being a hairstylist that was used to having a lot of money in my pocket to <laughs> to being a corporately paid person where you get a paycheck twice a month. Right. I don't care how much they pay you. Being a hairstylist is way better. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's probably, well, I don't know if it's more fun. I won't, I won't say that. It is more fun. It <laughs> yeah. is more fun. But it's way, like you have cash in your pocket at all time. That was the first time I ever like actually, you know, and I, I had a cushy job with a good paycheck, but like that was the first time I would ever go like, no, I can't go do this because I don't have the cash in my pocket. You know, I don't have the money to do it. Right. Yeah. So uh, well, let uh, me, that was I, funny. I have a question for you because, you know, you, you see a lot of education on becoming a six-figure stylist, right? Mm-hmm. And I have mixed feelings about that because, first yeah. of all, what does that mean? Does yeah. that mean that you are taking home six figures? Right. Does that mean that you're bringing in six figures in your business and you're only taking home half of that? Like, yeah. like how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, um, as much as we don't talk about money, it's one of the most seductive, um, low-hanging fruits or carrots, you know, in well, front of wants the horse. It. No one wants to talk about it, but everybody wants it. <laughs> yeah. And so I think when they, you know, when somebody sees it, they go, you know, there's, there, there's a mixed feeling. It's like, you know, I don't want anybody to know that I'm starving, but I'm starving you know, or I don't want anybody to know that I'm not doing as good as I wish I would was. Um, and so let me take this class and see what it is. And unfortunately, the only real, the only real thing is, uh, about that is understanding what it would take you to get there. So if, if $900 a day is what Misty had to do to get her take home money to six figures, that's different than $900 a day getting your take in money to six figures. Right. So your take home money is your total minus your cost of doing business, Mm -hmm. which to me, I'm very agnostic because I know super happy people in all worlds. I I know people that work in commission environments that would never leave. I mean, they would never leave. I know people that work inside of independent contracts, you know, environments or self-employed suites where they would, they found home and they are absolutely elated to do that. I know people that work inside of um, team-based pay and they love it. They, you know, they love the community. Um, I could never work inside of a team-based pay. I don't because, understand it. I've, I've tried to understand. I don't understand it. Yeah. 
I, I, I get it. But the whole point is, is like, I like to know that my action affects my outcome. Right. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more wired towards like, I want to see that if I do this behind the chair, this is what I can, I can affect that. Either way, it doesn't matter what, where you fall. What I want to know is, is what do I have to do in service dollars to get to my take home goal? Right. And, and whether that's subtracting a percentage that equals your being paid commission or whether that's subtracting your cost of doing business as an independent self-employed stylist, either way you should know what that number is. Right. Yeah. Cause so, if I'm bringing in $900 in a day, I'm not taking home $900. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and based on, and based on your, break even, I don't, I don't know what you are taking home. Now you could, you could be taking home very close to that if you're in a low overhead situation, or you could be taking home a lot less than that if you're in a high overhead situation. And that's why, you know, money is elusive, man. You, you, you have it, you know, you think you have it in your pocket one day and then you walk to your car and on the way walking to your car, you ordered a Starbucks for pickup and you, you know, found some new boots online and you, you know, by the time you got to their, your car, half of it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking a lot about money. Let's talk about a little bit about mindset. Cause I mean, I, I definitely agree that that is a huge, huge, huge part of part of it. Cause I know even as a seasoned stylist, I would get nervous, you know, raising my prices or having certain conversations with my clients. Like it's just something that you have to kind of you know, switch your script in your head for to un- like for me, product sales, for example, I was always felt salesy. I was that I like hated being salesy. And then I heard one time that like, you just have to educate your clients. And so then I just started doing that. And all of a sudden people were buying products all the time. And it yeah. was like, I don't feel salesy at all. And I'm selling all these products. This is great. Like it, it was like a mindset switch. So is there anything, you know, you want to talk about there? Cause that's a big yeah. one. Yeah, no, it is a big one. Um, the first part of the book, so, and I, and I, you know, it's funny because I, I promote the book a lot less than I probably should. It's, it's a freaking great <laughs> And the book read. is called Shop Talk, it's by the way. It's called Shop Talk. I'll put yeah. it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, um, and, it, and it's a great read, uh, but, but the book, I set it up the way it happened in my life. So the first thing that I had was a mindset switch, right? Before I could even ever do anything different because we talk a lot about behaviors nowadays um and i think your beliefs and your knowings like what the things that i believe and the things that i know and the things that i don't know all affect your behaviors Mm -hmm. right so i used to the way i learned it was kind of like you know your beliefs your beliefs your beliefs but it's like well there's 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 two other parts to that there's things that you haven't learned yet and there are things that you believe that aren't true. Things right? you need so to like, unlearn. <laughs> yeah, things you need yeah. to unlearn. So that's all tied in beliefs. And then there's just fears. And I could still believe something is true and be afraid to do it. Like I could, you know, believe the person in the supermarket would be better off if I gave her my business card, <laughs> but still be afraid to do that thing. Right. 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 We've all been there. <laughs> We've all been there, right? So our beliefs affect our behaviors in, you know, whether we know it or not. Now, mm-hmm. our, be- our behaviors, in the book I call it believe, behave, become. But when, I, when I'm talking about how it works, it's my beliefs and, and thoughts, the things that I know, affect my behaviors. My, my behaviors give me my outcomes. And my outcomes either reinforce my beliefs or take away from them. So here's an example. If in fact, you know, Misty tells me that I should just educate my client and I do it and they say, no, I go, see, I knew that fucking shit didn't work. Right. 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 But if I have that experience and I go, Oh God, that hurts. And then I try it again and I get a little closer the next time and I try it again. And this, for whatever reason, it landed, it clicked the way it came out of my mouth, the, you know, the, it felt good, you know, coming out. I didn't feel awkward. 
And she goes, yeah, I'll take that home today. By the way, this could be a, um, a new service offering. Mm-hmm. You know, Misty, I, you know, I've been doing your hair for a long time. I would really love to try this. And I know you're a little freaked out by it, but this is going to look beautiful on you. And you go, yes. And what that yes does is it reinforces my belief that I'm on the right track. And then I try it again. And then it works again. And then I try it again and I fail. And then I try it again and it works again. And then finally I form my, my shtick. I get my, I get my swag. And it's like, this is how Chris delivers it. And I promise you, I, are you there? I promise you that the way I'm going to deliver something is going to be different than you. You're, you're, you're a sophisticated professional woman. I'm, 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 I'm a rough around the edges, like, you know, uneducated dude, but, <laughs> but I don't, but I don't let that hold me back. I, you know what I mean? Like I, right. I use what I have, you know, I, I use my, so you could be, you could be an introverted shy young person, young professional. You could be a, um, you, you could be a sophisticated um, professional, somebody who came from a different career and you're nervous that, you know, oh my God, am I making this jump? You could be an extrovert, any, anything, and find your groove with, you know, the thing. And that's all based on just give, giving it the benefit of the doubt that other people have done it too. Right. Um, so inside of the beliefs umbrella, there's all kinds of good ones and there's all kinds of bad ones. And a good belief to me is one that gets you closer to your goal Mm -hmm. and a negative belief is one that takes you further away from your goal. So, you know, all the, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. She's way better than me. Look at her Instagram. Um, they feed all, you know, um, uh, Misty gets all the color clients and I get all the crappy clients. Um, all that's just negative beliefs. It's it's not going to help me towards my goal. Right. Um, though, the hard part or the leap of faith, I guess, that I took and I take it every day because I, I don't wake up with the guy that you're hearing right now. I got to, I got to force him out of this, out of hiding. Uh, I know exactly. I think we all do. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I wake up being the youngest of seven kids. I'm the little brother. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in my, my family doesn't expect me to do anything at a family gathering because they don't think I can. I mean, you know, Still? even now, oh yeah. Much, yeah. And that's, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now, I've, I've played it a little bit, don't right. get me wrong. but you know, I have four older sisters and two older brothers and, um, you know, it's just, it's just how our family wiring can sometimes be some of the hardest beliefs to unlearn. Yes, absolutely. You know? mm-hmm. And so I carry that little Chris around with me. Um, and you know, a lot of times I just have to put him for a nap you know, before I get up and do something. I know for me, cause I'm the same. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. Cause again, I mean, you know, in the social media world, everyone looks confident, you know, I mean, yeah. even at, you know, my classes, people, Oh, you, you seem so confident. I'm like, I was sweating so bad. Like I was terrified. Um, but I think I know for me, um, I'm not a big like woo woo person, like affirmations and stuff like that, but I try to like reword things. So instead of saying like, you know, like I can't do this. Like I try and, and take out the can't, like, you know, I can yeah. do this or like, Oh, you know, well, she does better color than me. Well, I, you know, change it to, I want to do better color, you know, and make yeah. it more positive And then more like about, you know, what I need to do to take action instead of making it, you know, a negative about something that is surrounding me yeah. and, and it's helpful. Totally. So in the book, you just, you just reminded me of something that I think is wildly important. So in the book, the, in the chat where, I, where I'm writing about beliefs, I used to be more, you know, th- if you look at this book, it's very cartoony. Uh-huh. My, <clears throat> my mentor was very cartoon-like. I loved that branding. And I had this great artist from Philly, like make me all these little pictures and stuff for the book. I've taken most of all that out in the second rendition of it. There's still some fun stuff in there but you know it just it wasn't my personal branding so when i first used to talk about it though i I had him design these little monsters these cute little monsters let me see if i can find them (laughs) and um 
when I was writing it, I called them like the negative thought monsters. And maybe, right. hold on, let's see. I don't know if you can see yep, those. Yeah, I there see them. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but, but now I talk about them as like the negative roommate in my head. Right. And the, the thing about a negative belief is it's not based in truth. And if you're an intuitive type of person, which many hairdressers, you know, are, are self-proclaimed empaths. If you are, here's how I gauge if something's true or not. When I lie to myself, like let's say I say, um, Chris, you're not capable of this, like capable, right? Now I'm not trying to go out for the NFL and like throw, you know, footballs at, you know, 300 pound guys. All right. I'm trying to do is be <laughs> successful in the hair industry. Right. So I'm capable of that, right? If I say I'm not capable or I say she's better, there's a feeling internally that comes along with that. Mm -hmm. If that feeling is a dirty feeling, like a dirty dishwater inside of your veins feeling, then the thing that you're saying probably isn't true. Right. Things that feel the tr when the truth comes out of your mouth, even if it's scary, it'll feel good. Yes. And you will get a visceral feeling. Just try it. Tell yourself a lie about yourself. I'm not, you know, enough. Uh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, tell yourself that story for a minute and, and then just experience what happens internally and your, your blood will fill with, I don't know if it's uric acid. I don't know what it is like, but <laughs> it will feel bad and then start telling yourself the truth. You know what? Fuck that. I am good enough. Like right. I am able to do this and you're, I'm experiencing it right now just by, just by doing that little activity. Like my, my entire internal feels are different and every little business interaction that you're in, um, Oh my God, this person's hating what I'm doing. My eyes go towards the floor. My shoulders slouch down. I can pick my shoulders up. I can look my guest in the eye and I can say, Nope, I'm going to, I'm going to resurrect this thing. I'm yep. going to figure it out. And boom, I can change the whole part of the, you know, part of the appointment. But if, you know, if, if, if you're one of those people who just struggles with confidence for me, for this guy, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a naturally confident person, but I exude it. Um, and it's, and it's simply because I, I, I know how to get my game face on and, and right. I know the difference between telling myself the truth and a lie. Right. Well, confidence is built on accomplishments. That has been like my favorite quote the past like two years because it's so true. You know, you've got something that this podcast terrified yep. me, you know, and, and now it's like the more I do it, the more I'm like, oh, I'm just talking to a friend. Like, and, and this, the shaky hands goes away and the, am I saying the wrong thing feeling goes away. And the same thing happens behind the chair. You know, like you said, you know, you get nervous about something, pull your shoulders back, look confident. Even if you don't feel like it, look the part and then it just kind of comes and then you'll feel the part. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. We just had a guy, we just had a guy on our podcast for the third time. His name's Jay Williams. And I, I think you should interview Jay as well. Okay. Um, he, he's a great guy. You will absolutely love him. And he, he never like anytime I hear Jay say something, it never feels like he's repeating somebody else's work. Right. Like, he makes you think. Right. And, we were just talking the other day about how some, some people have say it like this. They say beliefs create emotions, emotions, you know, affect your actions, your actions affect your outcomes. Right. Um, or some people say emotions affect your beliefs or emotions affect your actions, your actions affect. And what, what we were talking about was there's two different, I think there's two different ways to change your actions. One is to change your beliefs like by force and go, I'm doing this. Right. Like I'm doing this. Right. Usually those come from, I don't want to call it a failure, but a, a wake up call. Mm -hmm. Sick and tired of being went, sick and tired. Yeah. You yeah, got yeah. it. Right. So, so that happens. Then there's the other one where an action, like you said, and you called it accomplishment. I want you to know if you're listening that you don't have to have done the thing yet to be able to get yourself to do it. You just have to know it's doable. Right. Right. Um, and then taking the action will give you momentum. 
And then taking the action can also change your beliefs. So an example would be something silly like you're going to run the marathon. If you've never run one, then you don't know this, but you're actually capable of running a marathon. Like right. Pretty much everybody is. Um, and marathon runners will tell you, if you can run three miles, you can run a marathon. Right. Well, I didn't believe that was true, but I put it to the test and I completed a marathon. And believe you me, I'm, I'm not doing another one. You know I did I mean? the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right? I ain't doing another one, uh -uh. but it can be done. And, and I didn't have to believe it. I just had to keep taking the action. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, I mean, the, the sense of accomplishment when you do something that you didn't think you can do is, can, can push you into something even different. You know what I mean? Like you run the marathon. I, I did a half marathon and it was like, I never, I hate running. Yeah. You know? I don't know if you're like me. Like I just, if I don't like to do something, I'm going to like prove myself wrong. Um, yeah. but yeah. it was almost like when it was over, it was like, holy shit, I can do anything. You know, yeah. and then you kind of move it into other things. I feel like that can go, um, you know, in the hair world as well, really into totally. any, anything. <laughs> totally. Can I give, I want to give a couple of quick steps. Yes, absolutely. Right? Okay. Just because, look, I think everybody knows, you know, beliefs are one of those things where in the 90s, it felt like it was new information. And now I think people get it. You know, there's, there's guys out there like Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I highly recommend listening to his stuff. Um, who as a, you know, as a, as a doctor has proven that your beliefs can affect your physiology. Um, you know, people have cured disease, people have done different things. Now I'm, I'm not claiming to be able to do it at that level. In any way, <laughs> shape, or form. I just know that there's enough proof that it's true. And I think there's enough street knowledge around that, that people get it. Um, but one of the things that I think people should be doing is testing their beliefs at all times mm -hmm. um, or often anyway. And really taking a look at, people are always saying this, but like taking a look at what you're trying to get. What am I trying to get to? And then, and then say to yourself, is it doable? Well, yeah, because other people have done it, right? Okay, great. What's the thing that might be holding me back? Well, laziness. Okay, why am I being lazy about that? Well, maybe... Maybe I think it's going to make me too tired. Well, why do I think it's going to make me too tired? Well, maybe I think it's not going to be worth it. Why would I think it's not going to be worth it? Well, maybe, maybe I'm just scared. Maybe I'm just scared. And then I go, okay, what makes me scared? Well, I think people are going to, what if I fail and people know, you know? And so get, have that conversation with yourself and get to the bottom of what it is. Right. Usually it's fear. Mm -hmm. usually it's fear, right? Um, even anger is fear if you look at it long enough, right? I'm afraid I'm going to lose something that I, that I have. I'm afraid, you know, I'm going to get, you know, uh, lose whether that's approval, whether that's some actual thing, right? Okay. And then what would happen if I did this other, then you take a look at what you're actually doing. Well, what have I done to try to get that goal? Well, if I'm honest, nothing. I right. honestly haven't done a thing, right? right? I've thought about it and I've been afraid of it, but I haven't done anything for it. So what, what could I possibly do to get there? And then, okay, so write down those actions. You know, if I, if I wanted to grow my clientele more, I could be asking for referrals. It sounds like one of the silliest things. Veteran hairstylists hate when I talk about asking for referrals because they Why? don't want to do it, right? Well, because most of them. I feel like veterans them. would be the ones that are, would like condone it. <laughs> veterans, they condone it for new people. Uh, but if you're a veteran and you're listening, you know, it's been a yeah. while. I mean, maybe not Misty Jane, but you know, it's been a while and you haven't asked. If you want to grow your clientele in 2021, you got to start asking again. And just trying that action. For the next, and you, you decide how many days. Is it five days? Is it 35 days? Is it 21 days? Whatever it is, try it consistently and then let the results speak for themselves. Right. So usually your belief is having you not do a thing that you know you should be doing. Yes. So write down what that thing is and then commit to doing it for a certain number of days in a row and then do that thing for a certain, and then at the very end, measure the results. Right. I and love that. And let the results decide. Yep. Yep. I love that.
I feel like nowadays a referral is tag me in, in your picture on Instagram. <laughs> hey, you know what? Fine. Yeah. If yeah. that's it and you've been afraid to post. Missy, I can't believe how many, you know, awesome young hairstylists and awesome veteran hairstylists are afraid to post a picture. Yes, I know. I can't believe it. I know. I've talked to people too. I'm so surprised. I, I, I think they're scared of being their hair being judged or, or their right. work being judged. And it's right. Yeah. Or, um, being scared of posting their face on Instagram, you yeah. know, cause clients do want to see who you are as well, especially 100%. nowadays when you only see half of people's faces anyway. 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I, I find that, I find that interesting too. Um, well, Chris, I feel like we could talk all day. I'm not going <laughs> to do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> we, I think I, you know, I, I think we covered a lot. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. You know, I feel, I, think, I feel like we were, yeah. I think so. Is there anything um, before I'm going to ask you uh, where people can find you, but is there anything else you want to add before we um, bring this to a close? Um, no, I guess I just want to say, I, you know, I think while we covered a lot of stuff, we were general and vague, you know, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of, you know, general knowledge out there. Um, I don't think that information is lacking at all. You know, I think most people know what to do. Um, I think it's the difference between knowing what to do and doing what to know. Yeah. And I guess like, I don't want to say it in the way of like, you know, you are worthy. So overcharge people or you are worthy. So this, but like, but if you're in the hair business and you love it and you love being behind the chair um, and you're not getting the results that you want yet, whether you've been doing hair for five years, five minutes, or, you know, 35 years, um, you do have the ability to, to, to change your trajectory. Um, and when I, you know, I learned that when I was 22, um, you know, I happened to meet somebody that, that was doing better than me and it was scary for me to ask, but I didn't just ask. I asked and then I did, I did everything they told me to do. Um, and actions get you your results. Mm -hmm. Yes. Actions get you your results. So you can either believe it and take my word for it, you know, and, and try those different things, or you cannot believe it and try those things anyway. And see what you happens. Know, thing, and see what happens. And yeah. then let the results speak for themselves. So, right. um, yeah, I guess one more, I want to say one more thing, by the way. No, go for it. I, I think COVID being shut down in COVID, um, reminded everybody how important the, the hairstylist is to the client. Um, that the relationships that were missed during that time, both on the guest end and how much we cried about not being able to be in the salon um, behind the chair serving clients because it helps fill people up. You know, I know we weren't, you know, in the term essential, like a medical doctor would be in a medical crisis, but to the hearts of your people, you are essential. And there's no hairstylist, whether they're famous or not famous from another town that you're ever going to hear on a podcast that means more to your client than you, that your client chooses you 100% over all the other choices. And, you know, don't take that for granted, show up for them and choose them the way they choose you, uh, you know, for every single appointment and you'll flourish. Yep. I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, we're the, we're the highlight of most people's days sometimes, you know, we got to remember that. Many times <laughs> yeah. month words, the highlight of their month. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So where can everybody find you? Well, we also have a podcast that you mm -hmm. can, that you can listen to after you're done with Misty's podcast, <laughs> of course. Um, it's called shop talk by one, two, four go. Um, you it's easier searchable, we found out, by just typing in 124Go podcast, which I'm really pissed off about because I want, <laughs> I want people to search it for the title. Right. But, for, you know, but the way Google uh, uh, search works, it comes up easier that way. Anyway, we're on all podcast platforms like you. Um, and uh, on Instagram, I'm, I'm not an influencer on Instagram or anything like that. I'm, I'm a very, you know, my Instagram feed is of that of a very regular person, um, uh, regular hairstylist. Um, but the podcast is really where we're trying to reach people and affect people with empowering conversations. And just like yours, we try to give nuggets mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. um, of we want you to walk away with actionable items. And so um, we've had you recently. You were fantastic. We just, uh, Jen Plank published today. We uh, just interviewed Ryan Whedon. We've had Jack Martin on there. We've had, you know, uh, editor of Modern Salon. So we've had a lot of great people. We like to ask them questions and let them do the teaching. Yes. Awesome. And thank you for having me. It was fun. <laughs> it was awesome. It yeah. was awesome. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm excited to uh, talk to you again. I'm sure this won't be the last time. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for uh, joining us on Backroom Beauty Talks. Once again, I want to thank you so much for listening. I do this for you guys. Um, I just think that some of the conversations that I have with people in the industry um, can be so beneficial for so many. So if you're enjoying it as much as I am, please screenshot it, share it on your Instagram, and please help me hit my goal of getting my 10 reviews on um, iTunes. Yeah, thank you so much. Again, I you have no idea um, how much I appreciate all the love that I've received this year. And if you keep listening, I will keep them coming for you. Have a good one.